on this episode of Ask LA. I feel like I can't just surround myself around everything landscape architecture. Like I need the people and the animal side of things too. So um, I have chickens and um, they bring me so much joy. The Ask LA podcast is brought to you by the American Society of Landscape Architects. Produced by the ASLA Emerging Professionals Committee, each episode is geared to provide information and insight into the profession of landscape architecture for students and emerging professionals. On this episode of Ask LA, we continue our in-depth conversation with landscape architect Diana Fernandez of Sasaki. Join us as Diana talks about her career and research. The, the trend is, is great in including all people in design and designing for all people, but how do we amplify the voice of the profession so that those people who benefit from landscape architecture know that it was landscape architecture that did it? Yeah, I think it's like, it's really tough because, um, you know, in the research I'm doing right now with LAF, I, I, I've been struggling with this a bit, right? Because actually some of the spaces that are most meaningful to, to some of these communities are not designed by landscape architects. They're not designed by anybody, really. Community. Um, and I think it's about, I think it's important for our profession to be validated. I believe in licensure. But I also believe in knowing that we're not the only crafters of land and shaping land for society, right? Um, and I think the more we can accept that there are new aesthetics, new design vernaculars that may not look like what's on LAM or may not look like, you know, what's on Lanzine, you know. I think that starts to paint a different picture for us and allows for the profession to open open its doors really to say that landscape architecture can be what you can imagine it to be. And that um I don't believe in a utopia. Um, I don't, I think that's boring, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like, I want the same thing as everybody else. <laughs> I like being different, it's cool. Um, and I think our world, and I'm gonna get really philosophical here, so bear with me for a second. Um, but my daughter has really inspired a lot of this thinking. She's a super science nerd. And, um, when you think about our world and you think about our universe, we are stardust. And entropy, which is like all this randomness, all this like change, chaos at moments, like it's what it's what's made us who we are. And we're pattern seekers as humans, so we want to find order to this chaos, right? Uh, and actually, what if we embraced it? What if you embrace the difference? What if that's the world we, we paint, you know? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a world, public realm, where you don't have to give up your identity, I don't have to give up mine, and we can coexist. And I can have my little piece, I can do my thing, I can make my public space the way it needs to be, and you can too. And it's not to say that the public realm is a thing that, it's not unifying us in the, in the physical sense, but it's unifying our, understanding and empathy of how people are different and they use space differently and when you think about that it's crap it's like I, I can go back to like Richard Sennett and a lot of the work the, the literature he's written it's the precondition for democracy which is this American ideology right um, 
And it's just, it gets really exciting for me to think about that future. Excellent. Our, our differences are our sameness. Right. So you mentioned there, a good segue, you mentioned the work you're doing uh, on your LAF stuff. So you are this year an LAF fellow. Um, tell us how that came about and what's involved in that. Yeah, so um, for those of you that don't know, I do not have a graduate degree. I, I have a proud Temple University undergrad. Um, <laughs> And um, I've always wanted to get a graduate degree, but um, resources, finances, it just wasn't working out. You know, it was too expensive. It was really hard to warrant that time off from work. And um, I was looking for opportunities in which I can grow my research and this desire, right? Like I had all these interests and passions about uh, bringing more of the social sciences into landscape architecture. And um, the LAS, um, fellowship uh, for leadership and innovation um, started about two years ago and it's a really wonderful program where you have a year um, funded research basically um, to dedicate to advancing the profession in, in whatever method your research proposes and you know, I, at the time when I was applying, just had, had my son. He was like a couple months old, and I was working very late nights trying to work together. Um, and I just submitted, you know, I was just like, you know what, it is what it is. Let's see, I don't know. You know, I'm not, I'm very sleep deprived, but who knows <laughs> if any of this makes sense. <laughs> so I took a chance and I submitted, and um, it, you know, I, I got the interview, uh, Lisa from Field Operations and Roberto from FIU were interviewing me and it was just a really wonderful conversation and I, I was like, you know what, regardless of if I get accepted or not, I'm really excited to do this research and it's really, I got selected and it's turned into this like wonderful opportunity to not just, you know, work on my, my, my particular area of focus, but to be surrounded by a cohort, there's two um, Olmsted scholars and then two senior fellows and another mid-career fellow. Um, and, you know, it's a group of six of us and we've just built a really lasting relationship and, and been mentoring each other in the process, you know, just um, listening to their work, um, critiquing each other, uh, sending each other pieces of literature that may be interesting. And I think it's just been such a wonderful program. And Cindy and Laura and Danielle have done a really great job trying to create the space for that. Um, and it's rigorous. Like, it is tough. <laughs> so it's it will a, challenge you very much, but in a very good way. <laughs> it's a year-long fellowship, uh, research-based where you're mentored and like you said, you have fellow cohorts. So what are the anticipated outcomes for you? What, what do you, what would you like to see as the culmination of your research? Right, so my research uh, specifically is on this, um, this term called uh, landscape heterogeneity, um, which I um, really built upon from um, a lot of the, the theory and, and text that's been written around landscape ecology. And heterogeneity, just to define it really quickly, is the state or character of um, 
uh, of a landscape being diverse in nature or in character. And um, it really defines diversity in this like really uh, both biological and spatial aspect um, that was really interesting to me. So um, the title of my research is Heterogeneous Futures, um, you know, uh, Design Thinking Alternatives for uh, ecologically and anthropologically diverse landscapes. And um, it's been a really wonderful uh, uh, journey for me where basically um, I've been looking at all of the value systems that landscape architecture has operated within and started to, again, manifest that difference in physical space. It's like, how does that look like? Are there tools, digital tools? I'm working um, with, with a team here at Sasaki, um, developing tools that can help us actually visualize the, the social and the cultural, as you know, in the way that uh, Design with Nature did with the layers of geology and wet wetlands. Can we see the human relationships like manifested in, in physical space? And how can that inform the way we design? Um, I've also been uh, working with local artists to develop a, a, an illustrated book that communicates the intent of the work. Uh, because I, at first I said it was going to be a framework, but um, it's not. Uh, basically, the work is a reflection of uh, a way in which landscape architecture practice can operate. And it's not a definitive answer for every project we do from now on should operate in this way, but it's showing that there are other models that can be more effective in addressing both the ecological and the anthropological side of how our sites are operating. And it's been a really wonderful process where we've had three case studies, uh, projects that I'm currently working on right now and testing these series in real time. And um, hope, you know, in May we're going to be sharing all of this, so look out for a website and um, uh, this illustrative book is going to be unveiled then, and I think it's just going to be a really wonderful manifestation of all this work and, and all the people that have inspired um, my thinking um, really throughout my career. And how do you think your discoveries in this process will affect the way you work in the future? You know, for me, it's just, it's opened my eyes to questioning everything. <laughs> <laughs> and to, to, I think it's very easy and comfortable to just, well, it's the way things have been done and we just, you know, that's how you do community engagement meetings and we did something really amazing. Uh, there's a project I'm working on here in Boston with the Roxbury community, um, Frederick Douglass Memorial Plaza and when we went into that project, we knew that this community is hurting, it's quickly a gentrifying neighborhood, black history here is just prevalent everywhere, but the neighborhood no longer looks like that. And this uh, square, which has been the Frederick Douglass Square for over 100 years, is getting the first Frederick Douglass sculpture in over 120 years. And, you know, it's just this, like, culmination of so many decades of struggle. And, you know, when we came together, we assembled a team of, of really diverse practitioners, um, Breeze, Outlaw, and, and, and Mel Isidore, who's at MIT right now, and we said, you know what, we're going to 
question everything. We're not going to do community engagement the same way. We're not going to show any pressman images because we want to heal this community and we want them to see their own beauty because they've been taught, they've been told that what they have isn't beautiful and that their community isn't beautiful and their culture isn't beautiful. And um, instead of you know, a meeting where we sit up at the top and talk to the audience. We, we, we worked with a spoken word artist, Jess Polk, who's um, a local artist in the neighborhood, and she did a spoken word performance. And during the spoken word performance, she was talking about this notion of living preservation. And the room like opened up, like literally it's like we just like, we were let, like they actually let us into the living room, you know, and they're going to get a coffee and now we're going to talk. <laughs> you know? It was this like moment that it just like cracked the room open and, and, and the, convers the questions and the conversations we had just would have never happened had we done a traditional format for community engagement. And, you know, people were asking, well, what, what is, what is what is the public realm? What does public space mean? What is that? You know? And I think those are questions that if it was a format where, you know, we had two hundred people in the audience, I don't think someone would be comfortable enough to say that. And um, it taught me such an important lesson about critical mass and engagement versus critical engagement. And um, it was truly a moment that really shaped the way in which I think about how as landscape architects we can we can practice and it's led I mean there's so many different stories I can go into here but um, it's it's I'm iterating on these theories on this thinking that I'm developing through the research and it's been really fruitful so far. Excellent. And when that book comes out, people will be able to find it. How <laughs> your LAF will push it. You'll push it. Yes, LAF will be pushing it, <laughs> uh, hopefully. And um, there's going to be a website where all of this information is going to live. So um, I'll go ahead and, and send you that link. Um, and folks can look at um, all the stuff, because basically, I want to make this open source. There's so many pieces of literature, both within the profession and outside, that have like, opened my eyes to what landscape architecture could be. Um, I'll just say that you know, even reading um, Toni Morrison's work over again and looking at how she describes landscape. It's incredible. And I think we've lost the magic of what this land, of what landscape can do. And um, I think sometimes it's helpful to step outside of the profession to understand how valuable the work actually is. Landscape architects lead the planning, design, and stewardship of healthy, equitable, safe, and resilient environments. The mission of the American Society of Landscape Architects is to advance landscape architecture through advocacy, communication, education, and fellowship. Representing more than 15,000 members, ASLA is the collective voice of the profession. Membership matters. Find out more and join today at ASLA.org. So you've got a lot going on. <laughs> Just a little busy. You know, we've heard uh, you know, your, your work, you, uh, the fellow, you mentioned your daughter and your son. You've got an awesome husband. 
something that comes up often with students is what's work-life balance going to be like when I get out of school? How do I do it? So how do you do it? What's your advice? Um, my advice is that you should do what's right for you. <laughs> I don't, um, I don't call it balance because it's not, um, it's never balanced. I, I, uh, it's not an equilibrium and I'm being completely honest. Um, I love my work. I, I work a lot and, um, I'm working all over the country and it means that there are many times where work is is more of my time than being home with my family. And as you said, I have an incredibly amazing husband who really fills in the gaps when I'm not around. Um, and I travel a lot as well for work. And um, it's not a balance, but I think the way in which I've been able to, I guess, be okay with, with all of this is that um, there are times where work is more important and there's times where family is more important. And um, I don't draw lines between work and family, to be honest. Um, they know how passionate I am about everything. I come home and I'm like showing them the models. I'm like, look at this, what we're doing in Bonnet Springs. Like, it's so cool. Um, so it's just, it's, it's a part of every aspect of my life. And I like live and breathe my family and work. Like it's just all one like crazy amoeba and um, it's messy. And uh, all I have to say is just like be kind to yourself. I think I was stressing myself out a lot when I was like, it needs to be balanced. Where's the equilibrium? And it's like, that's perfectionism again. And that's not good. No <laughs> one's perfect. So um, I just try to do my best and, and clearly, I think communication is the key, you know. Um, I luckily work at a workplace where um, flexibility is just the norm here. You know, if I have to be home for Kayla's robotics competition, I can do that and work remotely. And um, communication then is the key where you're communicating with your team and you're saying, hey, these things are coming up. Um, I just want you to be aware. Um, and it means that, you know, I can come home at five and turn on my computer and when the kids are put to bed and, and continue working. So, um, but it's different for everybody, you know, some people really need those defined lines. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way of doing things. And I'm just saying that, you know, just find what works for you. And I think for me, it's like key elements are just being clear and communicative about what your needs are, how you work best and um, defining the joy in it. It gets really, like, I don't I hate sucking the fun out of it, you know? It has to be enjoyable and meaningful for me. <laughs> right. Do you see, obviously, you had limited time at, at the smaller firm where you started and, and your life was a little different then, but differences between a small firm and, and the way you're able to have that flexibility and then a larger firm like Sasaki? Yeah, I think, like, it. At Sasaki, it's been a lot about communication because a lot of us travel. So we're about 300 uh, people right now outside of Watertown. And um, just to give you a sense of where all my projects are right now, most I have a project in Los Angeles, a project in Las Vegas, a project in Chicago, in Lakeland, Florida. So I'm, I'm like not in Massachusetts. <laughs> I have one in Massachusetts, which is the Roxbury Project. But, um, you know, there's a lot of travel involved. And I think um, communication is just so much more important when you're working at a larger firm because um, it is 
sometimes the principals are not in the office and they're traveling and um, also it's interdisciplinary so you're working with engineers you're working with urban designers and um, you know it's it's really important to figure out how you can know when to speak up know when to listen um, and and figure out communication modes that really are effective for the type of collaboration that leads to like the best design or the best conversation. And you know, when I was at a smaller firm, that was like less important to be honest. Um, it was important with the client, you know, client interactions, but internally, you know, I could stop over at Dan's desk. Um, and Dan is amazing. He was one of my uh, first mentors when I started working at Lalzapal. And um, he, I could just say, hey, Dan, like, what's up with this detail? Like, can we talk about it? Um, and, you know, that was just, it was just a different off format, you know? Um, but yeah, I think it's, to me, the most important thing, and I, I was doing a talk, I think, um, with some students uh, a while ago, and I, I made this comment about just figuring out what work style is best for you. Like, some people really need somebody to talk to every day to check in. Um, and some people are like, you know what, no, just give me a little bit of direction and I'll, you know, just take off, right? And we'll communicate via email. And I think it's really important to figure out what your manager's work style is and what your work style is. And I think it takes some practice and kind of working a little bit to understand. But I think once, just be aware of that because that's what's going to lead to like effective understanding of, hey, I'm going to thrive in a large firm or, you know, I'll do better in a smaller firm. Good. And we've uh, a little bit of time left. I want to talk about, I love hearing what people do to improve themselves. I'm one of those people who I always like to be learning something new, getting into new things. So uh, what kind of things do you do to, to learn things, whether it's within landscape architecture or outside of landscape architecture, you know, what are you doing to, to keep your knowledge growing? Besides your LAF research. <laughs> <laughs> I love going to conferences. Um, it's like one of my favorite things. I just love being energized by rooms of like all these really smart people saying really smart things. And I'm just like, wow, I never thought about it that way. And um, I just, every time I leave like the ASLA conference, I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going to take this back to my practice and it's going to be amazing. Or I met somebody and it was such a great opportunity. So um, I really enjoy that. Um, I've also recently just love podcasts <laughs> and podcasts that are not like I, still processing is one of my favorite. It's the New York Times podcast with Jenna Wortham and Leslie Morris, and they talk about pop culture and society. And I don't know, it's kind of refreshing sometimes because they make these like tangential comments about public space and landscape that I'm like, whoa, well, people that don't know what this is care about it, you know, it's really important and um, it just, it's been really fun and then just as like a, I feel like I can't just surround myself around everything landscape architecture, like I need the people and the animal side of things too, so um, I have chickens and um, they bring me so much joy. It's like the most fun thing ever. <laughs> um, they are just in like your yard, chickens. Yes, in our yard, we built my daughter and I built a coop for for them, and it is 
they're just so funny. There's four of them, and they all have personalities. We also have a, a little English bulldog, and they're like the best of friends. And it's just, I, I really love just simple home life and connecting back to nature, gardening. Um, we're thinking about adding to our homestead and getting a bunny. Um, so. I don't know. It's these things that I feel like I'm turning into a farmer, but <laughs> um, it just brought me so much joy and appreciation for animals and coexisting together um, in, in like meaningful ways. That it's like it's great for me too. Like it's a great way to decompress, you know. Awesome. That sounds. I don't know if I could handle chickens. That's. Uh... I have a dog. That's about the, the extent of my abilities, I think, <laughs> when, when it comes They're to They're awesome. I'm telling you, it's amazing. They're so smart. <laughs> Do you, you harvest the eggs and eat the eggs? And yes, such? harvest eggs almost every day. Um, they, uh, I call to them and they come flying. <laughs> <laughs> really? They are so smart. It's just like, it has blown my mind how smart they are. Like. They're just, and they all have little personalities. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> if you, um, I'm on Instagram, so if you guys follow Instagram, on Instagram, follow my page, you'll get a lot of chicken, baby, and dog videos. <laughs> <laughs> What's the Instagram handle to follow? Um, I think it's, um, it's at Diana Fernandez Bebo, B-I-B-E-A-U. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I follow you, and it's always entertaining. And great <laughs> pictures of your family, great pictures of your travels. Yeah, so everybody should uh, follow immediately. Um, in closing, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of, let, let's phrase it this way. If, if you could go back and tell young student professional Diana, anything that would have made things easier for you or, or accelerated your path to where you are? What kind of advice would you, would you give your young self? That's a very great question. Um, I think for me, the thing I would say to myself is to stop pretending to be somebody else or to like fit in to, to what the norm was. Um, it's been such a valuable lesson for me and, and to just being like, hey, this is who I am. I'm a quirky, sometimes loud Latina and like, that, that's what you get, you know? And it's exciting. And I think um, in my early career, I was just trying to fit in and just wanted to be as great as everybody else. and. When I started believing in myself and believing that actually my difference is really good, it was valuable. <laughs> like I added value. That was a turning point for me. Yeah, that's good. You can't you can't be that great architect, great landscape architect if you're not yourself. I think in some ways, if, if exactly. you're exactly. Yeah. Yeah. People see through it, you know, and I felt like the minute I was confident in what I brought to the table and it being something completely different was the minute everyone around me was like, valuable, <laughs> please be on my team, <laughs> you know, and I was just like, whoa, 
I spent all this time <laughs> trying to, to do something that um, wasn't bringing, bringing me happiness. And, and honestly, people just fall right through it. So um, I think just be yourself and, and be confident in that. And um, it's going to just bring you to places you can't even imagine. Awesome. Well, Diana, thank you so much for joining us and for your time and sharing uh, you know, these insights and information and your experiences with the audience. I'm sure that everyone is going to find some nugget in there, just like when you go to the conference and come home. I'm using that. They're, they're going to walk away from listening to this with that. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ask LA. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask LA podcast on iTunes, Google, or your podcast service of choice to catch every episode. For more information about the great work of the American Society of Landscape Architects, check out ASLA.org.